Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the WDET studios, Detroit's NPR station. This episode is brought to you by the Ford Foundation, and we are, are we are a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey, and my co-host, Donna Gibbons-Davidson, is out today, and hopefully she will be back with us soon. We want to thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Today, we are excited to welcome Danielle Atkinson. Danielle is the founder and national executive director of Mothering Justice, which is a nonprofit that focuses on organizing and advocating for equitable policies and outcomes that benefit mothers of color. Danielle, Welcome to Authentically Detroit. Oh, thanks so much for having me. We are excited to have you. I can't believe we're saying that for the first time, but yeah. hopefully it will not be the last time Definitely that you're not. able to join us here in the studio. No, I appreciate it. It's the invitation. really good to see you, you first as well. of all. You okay, as well. so I gotta tell I gotta tell this story. Actually, I'm gonna ask you to tell this story because um, you know, in media we're always trying to tell the stories the right mm-hmm. way and get the right folks. And so the ask for you to appear on the podcast came kind of late that's all right (laughs) you tell this i this i just want to personify how black women are magic so less than what two hours ago yes what yes i was in sweat (laughs) i was making some vegetable soup for my babies about to do pickup and ebony's like can you do this interview like in two hours i was like all right let me pick up the babies drop the husband at the airport finish the soup and put on some makeup. So here I am and you on the radio. Up, I wish y'all could see her. So listen, go to make sure you go to our Instagram and Facebook when you're listening to this episode because you're going to see a picture of me and Danielle. Danielle just looking as fly as Don't she hype wants Don't hype to be. Don't hype it. Be like, no, first you have to say like, oh, she's looking okay. And then they see the picture and they're like, okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, yes. Let's, let's manage expectations, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so I want to ask you, uh, be, beyond the rush, yeah. right? And I'm sure you, this happens all the time, yeah. especially in the time that we're living in. How is the day finding you? How are you? Mm, that's a really great question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really interesting because when we're, when we're doing this work, and we are living a life of somewhat privilege, right? And blessings. Thank you for naming that. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's hard to answer that question, right? Actually, I saw something where we can have things with both hands, right? So on one hand, I'm devastated at where we live and the time we're living in. And on one hand, I'm doing wonderfully. Babies are healthy. You know, the organization's doing well. We're getting wins. Um, but definitely that other hand is holding where we are at this moment in history. Yeah. And it's okay for two things to be true Yeah, at the same time. I think we are, uh, I don't think we often acknowledge enough the layers and the complexities that 
are us humans. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a human experience. Yeah. It's yeah. a human experience. Mm-hmm. And we are affected by many external realities exactly. that uh, we not only feel um, emotionally, but also just in our bodies. Yeah. Our yeah. bodies respond sometimes before we can even, you know, reach up and grab the words to express whatever it is yeah. that we're feeling. And with a memory, right? Our bodies. I love that you name that, too, because our bodies remember. So mm. the trauma that we're, we are experiencing is a remembering of past traumas that we've lived through or our family have survived from or didn't. Triumph, joy, trauma, sadness is ancestral and it is passed down. And so our blood can remember well beyond our years. Yes. Yes. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think that's where I am today. I am holding in, in reverence and in space, my co-host, mm-hmm. um, Donna Givis-Davidson, um, who, as you all, our listeners know, is a magnificent uh, mind, an amazing advocate, uh, an unapologetic black woman yes. um, who advocates on behalf of other black women and folks who live a marginalized and disenfranchised experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you all know three months ago she lost her mom and uh, now she is faced with the loss of her oldest sister mm-hmm. who was her mom's roommate mm-hmm. for the last 20 or so years. And I want you all to know that Donna cares about this work so much and cares about you so much that she tried to be here today. Yeah. And unfortunately she couldn't. Because grief don't care about your work. Yep. Yeah. Um, grief don't care about your schedule. It will disrupt uh, what you have planned, and I think it's perfectly okay. And so I'm thinking a lot about thinking a lot about grief. Yeah. And the grief that so many people in our country are experiencing right now as a result of that Supreme Court decision, but the grief of losing someone that you love and I'm holding that especially within the time span of her mom and now her sister and so I am admonishing everybody who is having a hard time even with the pandemic yes you know two years later uh, I find myself feeling so many things in my body as it relates to this pandemic and this facade of normalcy that we're trying to present to the world right now um to to acknowledge what your body is feeling, mm-hmm. to acknowledge the emotions that come up for you and to step away and care for oneself when you need to. And I'm so glad Donna recognized that she couldn't be here and that she needed to grieve and that she needed to care for herself. But what she also needs is the community that we've built here at Authentically Detroit and around the city uh, to wrap our arms around her, wrap our arms around her family, uh, to love on her while they honor the legacy and the life of her sister coming up uh, this week. And so, Donna, we love you. We are holding you in this space with us. And when you are ready, my friend, when you are ready, 
we will welcome you back, of course, with open arms. This is your show too, so you'll yeah. need to, you'll need to be welcome back. <laughs> you can come whenever you want to, but yeah. uh, that's that's where I am today. Yeah. Um, I, I'm feeling for my friend. Yeah, and I I I want her to be okay, and I want her. You know, I heard this um, from Eileen Cooper Reed, who's mm-hmm. a city builder out of mm-hmm. Cincinnati, uh, and it's the truth. Uh, that I've heard before, but the way that she said it to me just it stuck with me. She said, "Grief is communal, especially mm. for us black folks." Of course, of course. And so, Donna, we with you. We're we're grieving with you. Yeah, and it's important that caregivers, spokespeople, holders can step away, and the work can continue. That's important for them, uh, and it's important for us, right, to know that we can carry on while you do this and and you haven't left you are you're you're absent for a moment but your presence and your leadership is felt and we can carry it for right now Mm -hmm. and and a leader builds a team yes in that way and i am a recipient of donna's leadership and mentorship and so it it meant so much for me to be able to say to her we got this and we got you yep and so we love you uh, see you soon, Donna Gibbs-Davidson. All right. It's time for Hot Takes, where we run down some of the week's top headlines in the city of Detroit. For Hot Takes, abortion ruling heightens fear over unequal access to care in Detroit. This is Christine Ferretti and Malachi Barrett reporting at Bridge Detroit. All right. So the story at Bridge Detroit is highlighting a few different things, and I kind of want to run some of this down, and I think this would bleed nicely into the discussion that we want to have with you, Danielle. Uh, number one, it, it highlights that the city's maternal death rate is triple the national average. Yeah. That's one, right? And it highlights uh, the unequal access to uh, reproductive health care uh, on part of women of color, particularly black women in the city of Detroit, that that access is already not equitable. Yes. Right. It highlights that Um, the high court, of course, struck down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision nearly 50 years after it was enshrined as a constitutional right uh, to an abortion with out excessive government restriction. Justices writing for the majority argued that Roe v. Wade was egregiously wrong from the start and that states should be allowed to regulate abortion instead. Um, a ban on abortions is expected to increase maternal mortality overall by 21%. For black women, maternal mortality could jump as much as 33%. These are the facts that are laid out in this story. Abortion. Okay, so here's the thing that we need people to know, mm-hmm. right? Abortion is legal in the city of Detroit still. Yes. And it is legal in the state of Michigan still because of an injunction against a 1931 law that outlaws abortion. That law is being challenged in the courts right now as we speak. You should also know that under that law, doctors who perform abortions and women who take medication to terminate a pregnancy could face felony charges that carry a penalty of up to four years in prison this is a 1931 law mm-hmm. we're talking 1931 and okay? where were we in 1931? <laughs> where were we in 1931 okay who was thinking about us who was representing us in 1931 and thir- oh, thank you 
so right now, Michigan can be a haven for abortion care and reproductive care for folks who are in states at like Ohio. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, if the 1931 law is triggered, Mich- the Michigan Attorney General uh, Dana Nelson, Dana Nessel said that she will not prosecute those cases. And right now, there is also a ballot an initi- a ballot initiative uh, that uh, will be turned in on July 11th. That's trying to put um, this on the November 8th general um, election ballot. Okay, so that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And Danielle, I'm so glad you chimed in where you did. Because I want you to talk about where we were in 1931 and who was representing the uh, the the best interests, not only of black folks, but black women, Mm -hmm. particularly in the Michigan state legislature. White men. (laughs) It was white men. In case you in case you were just wondering, you were like, oh, I don't know who was there. It was white men Mm. without uteruses who did not care who saw us as products of um, products of capitalism in order to produce um, just the workforce. Can you say that? I mean, can you, can you say that again? Because this, of course it is an emotional topic, uh, but it is also something that my blood is remembering. Yes. Right. Uh, Government mandated pregnancies. Exactly. Right? To produce what? A workforce. Our bodies were means of production to serve capitalism. That's it. Whether we were enslaved or we were working for sub minimum wage, we were just the workforce. No one was thinking about the people who count on us, the dreams we have, the people we serve that none of that was taken into consideration, nor was it when the Supreme Court sent down their ruling. So let's really talk about that. When people think about, I mean, there's so many ways in which we can have this conversation, but when we just think about representation and what it means to take rights away that were given by the high court, what does that mean about other rights you have, who you are, and what say you have in your own body and the authority that you have. What are those people saying about that? That's it. You can have your strongly held religious beliefs. You can um, believe that, uh, that people have a better future making certain decisions. But what does it mean when rights that were held by people individually in counsel with their family and their, their, their loved ones and their doctor are taken away. What does that mean about your mm. own bodily autonomy? Mm. Mm. Can you say more about, and I, 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 I also <laughs> grant you the freedom to go wherever you need to go because as a man, I should not be steering this conversation. <laughs> I'm just asking the questions, right? Uh, but can you talk, can you say more about um, representation. Yeah. Um, who, who's sitting on the Supreme Court and what the what the makeup of the United States look like in 2022 um, and hold that up against the bench. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's important to understand. I, this is my argument. Now, I appreciate 
and I hold space for and I and I just admire the people that talk about their own lived experience and the choices they made and the crisis that led to them making a decision. I appreciate that. But let's just talk about bodily autonomy, okay? Why is it that the uterus is the only organ that is now mandated to serve other people and to serve as a life-saving mechanism? You could be an organ donor. You can be a tissue donor. You can be um, a blood donor with less repercussions than having a baby. And you would be possibly saving a life of someone who has expressed that Mm -hmm. they would like to live and is fighting Mm -hmm. and waiting on a transplant list. But nobody is demanding that you give up a kidney. And no one is looking at you twice if you say, no, I won't donate a kidney. And you can take that kidney to the grave with you. Mm -hmm. If you have not expressed that you want to be an organ donor or you have told your um, loved ones that you do not want to donate, then you can take every part of your body with you to the grave, parts of your body that would be saving people's lives. But the uterus, only certain people have uteruses, Mm -hmm. has, has now been mandated. Now, what does that say about equality? When people say that this is not an equality issue, when they say that this is not about sexism, when they say this is not about control, Make that make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the math isn't math. It's mathing, unconscionable. Yes. Right? It, yeah. it doesn't make sense. So it's solely about control. Okay? And then when you, you know, and I, and, and again, that's one part. And I think that's the only argument we have to make. But there are more arguments we can make, right? We can talk about how having a baby is a calculated risk, especially if you are a black woman. We, black women face... um face weathering. Okay. Let's just talk about weathering. Weathering is uh, when um, your body feels racism and the toll that Mm. takes on you and what that means to the outcome of your pregnancy. Now that is a sociological term that has been adopted. Thank you for introducing that. Yes. Has been adopted by the medical community because they have no other way of, of explaining why, Infant and maternal mortality rates are higher for black women, regardless of income, marital status, education. We are still more likely to die in the in uh, having being pregnant, having a baby and the year following than our white counterparts. Then you have just uh, you have the inequities without within the um, healthcare system, the um, disproportional rates of being insured the higher rates of pre-existing conditions. Um, Cultural unintelligence. Yes, not being believed. That was right. one of the, uh, not being believed that you're in pain, right? We have, mm. we have congresswomen that testified that they had to scream in the hospital so that they wouldn't be bleeding out, okay? These are, these are risks that we have to have the autonomy to be able to make. These are choices, it's a choice to say, I am willing to put my life on the line to have a baby. And it's really interesting also the fact that we're talking about um, the life of a mother, right? So many states have uh, have written in their legislation around abortion um, that in order to save the life of a mother, I would argue every woman has who has an abortion, it's to save their life. 
whether it be the mm. woman who has been uh, forced to get pregnant um, while in a domestic violence situation, mm-hmm. or it's a, a woman who is in college and is excited about her future, or it's someone who has three children and just can't see a way of supporting a fourth. It's about saving their life. I, 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 I want to offer you space to say more about that because I think, you know, a, a lot of times I've been hearing um, really, really uh, traumatic scenarios yes. around why women uh, choose to terminate a pregnancy, a pregnancy. And I love the fact that you said it's it's it could be a woman in college who yes. is excited about her future. Yeah. Um, it could be a woman who just doesn't want to be like, why do, why is there a narrative? And and I get it. And there's a need to talk about that, but yeah. beyond the traumatic circumstances, if a woman don't want to be a mama, why is that not enough? <laughs> why, why is that, that not enough? enough? And I, I, people need to ask themselves that question when they're like, mm, I'm grappling with whether or not this should be legal. Have you ever cried at the feet of a legislator and say, I just really want to keep my kidney because... (laughs) No, you don't have to do that. You shouldn't have to tell a sad story. You should be able to live your life fully. That's That's what our ancestors fought for. What they died for. You know, I, I've been thinking in these last few years, really, about the sacrifice my parents made coming to this country. I'm the first person in my entire family history to be born in this country. Everybody's from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And they gave up everything, right? They gave up good jobs. They gave up family. They gave up a culture that they understood to come here and have nothing. To literally leave, they, they left a place where they had people helping them to become the help, okay? Mm-hmm. And they left for less than what is happening in this country for Mm. less of a threat than what is happening right now. So we really need to think about the, what our life looks like, the oppressions that we are living under. It's like um, that analogy about like a frog, right? Like you can drop a frog in water and a hot water Mm -hmm. and they'll jump out right away. But if you just put them in and you turn it up a little bit and Mm -hmm. you turn it up a little bit more, Mm -hmm. y'all, we are, they are turning up the water the heat on the water very slowly, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. happening. And we mm-hmm. have to recognize that even if you are not pregnant, even mm-hmm. if you never plan on being pregnant, even if you don't have a uterus. And if you, yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you are a man, a male, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. These are threats to our very existence. Mm. I, 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 I'd like to explore this fact in that we are all human. Mm. And because of that, uh, everybody deserves to be able to take up space. Yes. Um, and we all have this this innate uh, desire to to feel seen, heard, mm-hmm. um, and understood, regardless of where you are on the spectrum of religiosity. Yes. Right. And because you are a human and deserve to take up space however you see fit, um, it is not fitting for me to force uh, 
exactly my own religiosity onto someone who doesn't subscribe to the same faith that I do. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that conversation, because I'm hearing a lot about that too. And yes. What is your response to that? You know, it's exactly what you just said. You know, I have my own faith belief. It has influenced everything about me. It has, it has dictated the decisions of my life and how many children I have. And I can feel comfortable in that because they were of my own faith and of my own principles. In your own house. In my own <laughs> don't curse house, okay? Where I pay the bills, okay? And I just, I, it's funny because I tell my mom every so often when she's like, do it this way, do it this way. <laughs> I was like, you know what, mommy? <laughs> the benefit of being an adult. You know, I say let's, it in my head. Let's not even, let's be I'm real. I say you. it in my head. I tell this to my father all the time. <laughs> if you if you want to pay a bill, right. if you if you and if you fix I your could, face to say it out loud, I, I oh I say it and I say and if I could project the responsibilities that I have onto you, yeah, then you can tell me what tell to me, do. Tell me, tell me, tell me. But you know what? Since I gotta pay all of uh, them, and you ain't writing no checks, right? <laughs> I'm gonna do it this way. Yeah. So you know, and 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 when we've had this, when we're having this conversation, I've come to listen to other people other people's religious belief people that i respect moral upstanding people muslim people their faith dictates that abortion is um is permissible up until a certain time jewish people abortion is permissible so we're taking their freedoms away now we're incringing on their freedoms now what and then we say okay but this is a christian nation what kind of christian nation are we are we uh, are we evangelical today? Are we Pentecostal today? Are we what are we Catholic. and Catholic? Whatever. And then so pick one, okay? And it's going to be the one of the majority. Now, would you like that brand of religiosity dictated on you? <laughs> today, the decisions might be in line with what you believe today, but maybe not tomorrow. And you know, I I'm really interested in this concept of legislating mm-hmm. Christian morality. Yeah. And what that looks like in practicum, right? Um I'm I'm thinking about I'm thinking about something I'm thinking about the 10 commandments that yes. God gave to Moses. And how even God, right, gifted Moses this this revelation of these commandments. Yes. Uh that were broken habitually from the beginning. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Moses. We're not going to talk about... <laughs> no, 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 the, I'm, trying the, to, I'm is, talking about yeah, legislating. I'm, just, I'm saying that there, in so many ways, where could things have gotten misinterpreted, right? right. Like, right? Yeah. Moses had to go up a mountain. Yeah. He could have been tired. <laughs> Did he have a pen? Did he Look, hear yeah. it right? right? Did he hear it right? Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, you know, and I joke, but this is this is, this is is my faith tradition, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I deeply believe this, but... Um, we we can't we can't put our faith in legislators translating and their interpretation of a book that was interpreted by you know like and how many years passed we can't do that we have to hold our faith dear to our hearts and 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 let it dictate our lives and, and these justices aren't exactly you know a moral representation of what 
Okay. <laughs> of what Christ would want them okay. to be. Listen, y'all, I'm talking to Danielle <laughs> Atkinson, who is the founder and national executive uh, director um, for Mothering Justice. Hey, we want you to make sure you hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or, and you can email us at authenticallydetroit um, at gmail.com. And so, like, I'm, 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 I'm hearing you... Um, you know, offer offer a response mm-hmm. um, to to what we are experiencing in this country currently. How is mothering justice yeah. uh, responding to the latest Supreme Court ruling that takes away the federal protections of abortion procedures and puts it back in yeah. the hands of the states? I really appreciate that question because reproductive justice is a three legged stool. A st- three legged stool. It is about the ability to have a child the ability to not become a parent, and the ability to raise children in a safe environment. Repeat that again. Okay. Three three legs. Three legs. The ability to have a child, the ability to not parent, and the ability to raise a child in a safe and and clean environment, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so without any one of those legs, the stool falls. And the stool is our financial stability. It is our moral stability. It is everything that is our lives as as women and people with uteruses. And so mothering justice is built on that concept, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about having a child, do you have access to um, the care that you want and that is right for you? Um, Do you have the safety of taking time off when you need it? Do you have affordable child care? You know, and when we talk about not not parenting, the ability to terminate a pregnancy, the ability to have contracepts, contraceptives, the ability to have a voice and a relationship to articulate your desire, and then um, the ability uh, to raise a child in a safe environment. Are you are you fearful that your children are are at more at a more um, are at more risk outside of your home than inside of your home? Uh, are they are you scared that the people that are sworn to protect them might kill them? Are you scared that they will not get the education that uh, in their own community that is is promised to, to them? So mothering justice has a mama's agenda, and that the agenda came from the concerns of mothers of color. What is impacting your financial and moral stability, right? Mm-hmm. And and the list is paid leave, okay? Um, affordable childcare, maternal justice, and that's a huge bucket, um, and basic needs, mm-hmm. right? And so we are working on those issues. We continue to work on those issues. And what happens when this leg of the stool gets taken out? Mm. While we, it can't stand. It can't stand, and we are, and the people that are holding up the other two legs, right? My analogy is kind of getting iffy here, but we all have to rush to that leg, right? Mm-hmm. So, what, what, what? Where is no, paid you, leave right now? A perfect picture. Thank you. Yeah. Where, where's paid leave right now? Mm-hmm. We, we have, we have to abandon that fight. Where is affordable childcare? We have to abandon that fight because now we have women in crisis, and we have to articulate the crisis to the rest of the world because. They weren't paying attention when they dictated that they wouldn't have access to abortions. They, they didn't they didn't think about that. Do you have space? I, lo- I love this three legged stool mm. analogy. And, and I know that it's an emergency. We are in crisis. And sometimes 
uh, our initial trauma response differs from the response that we would have when we're not in active trauma. Yes. Yes. If we if we had time. Yes. Right. And if we weren't in this situation, what 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 does that work look like? <laughs> Listen, call me when you when we're not in crisis. But <laughs> no, all joking aside. <laughs> For real. For um, real though. That's, yeah. That's real. I mean, we're we're always in crisis. But I think it I, I you know, I think the work would look like and and what we what we do, I think a good job of is telling the story right so again we are represented on all levels of government who people with from people who don't live our experience who look like us we got some people we got a few people sprinkled but in overwhelmingly overwhelmingly we are not represented by people who share our experience oh rich white man there you go so we have to explain they're like okay well if abortion isn't legal here you can still go three states over okay do you, do you have the car can you even get to the west side or east side? Do you have the do you have the the gas? Um, the gas? So what happens when I get stopped cuz I'm riding dirty? Who's watching my kids? Do you have a passport so I can go to Canada? Like it's they're not they don't understand. So we we are constantly explaining. We are finding allies throughout the system. We are um building coalitions of people who are affected, who understand the system, who have power. Now, shouldn't those people be all, shouldn't that be one person? But unfortunately, it's not, right? Um, So we are finding those people. We are building coalition. We are building power. We are asking people to join in and put pressure on to understand their own power um, and and use that um, to influence the system. And that's, that's that's a work all in itself. Because again, with institutional racism and systemic racism comes internalized racism. And so our people don't know that they have power. They don't know that they're influencers. They're like, yeah, 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 I can move Pookie and them, but they don't know that that is the power, right? So how does mothering justice awaken that intrinsic power Yeah, in the constituency? I think it's, it's deeply re- rooted in history, right? It's rooted in an understanding that you don't have to build this road. There were beautiful, strong, courageous women that built it for you. I'm asking you to walk down it, okay? If they were your mom, your grandmother, or historical figures, I named my my youngest daughter, her middle name is X. There was a book, and I can't remember the name of the book, but it said it had all of these beautiful women and, and their stories, and then they had X. It was A to Z, I need to find that. Remember the name of the book, but X was for the women whose names will never speak and will never know. My goodness. Okay. Oof. So I did. I didn't want to. I, I wanted to name her after someone extraordinary, but instead I named her after all the, the extraordinary. extraordinary women. Okay. Mm. So if it's if it's finding that person, naming that person, reading a book, or just knowing that we are a people of power, that is how we awaken that, right? Knowing that I'm just asking you to walk down a road that has already been paved. Mm-hmm. And, this, and, and it feeds into that storytelling piece that exactly. you, you recently named. Um, I want to talk uh, a little bit about uh, this narrative that I'm also hearing around, you know, bring the, bring the baby to term mm-hmm. and give it up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the most asinine argument 
that I've heard in a long time. But I'm wondering because you mentioned storytelling and that that is that is that is a specific frame, right? Yes. I think I think I think a lot of this goes into narrative and how we frame things. Yes. Right? And so that that is a narrative that I think is dangerous. Yes. Right? How are you all responding to to that? I mean, it's so much to respond to. There is so much to respond to, right? And I was like, if you're going to legislate on this one particular facet of uh, this complex issue, right? That that is idiocy right there. First of all, okay? Like there are so many circumstances under which people um, need to access abortion. And you're going to say, oh, you're healthy. The baby's healthy. Just give the baby up for adoption. Okay. Well, okay. First of all, that shows your ignorance. And then second of all, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I have had the, the privilege, the honor, again, talking about life, just being able to experience all these, um, a woman going through that process. Um, and who who was kind of forced into that process. Mm. And just knowing that that's not the story she would have written for herself, and that's not fair. Because we should be able to write our own stories. We should be able to write our own stories. Mm. So the, the ruling uh, de facto stops abortion in some states, depending upon what law or previous laws triggered yeah. um, in certain states. Um, but, you know, I, I want to emphasize that um, the constitutional right to, uh, you know, abortion, it, I, w- I would tack on to that the safety it enshrined yeah. a right to a safe yeah. um, and clean abortion. And I don't think this, regardless of the legality of it, will stop abortions. Of course not. It will stop safe abortions. Can you talk a little bit about why abortions were enshrined as a constitutional right 50 years ago in the first place? Yes. Because when a when a woman decides and makes up her mind that she's not going to be a mother. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's what ha- do what she's going to do. What So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, so the Supreme Court is the entity which marginalized people have gone to through the existence of our country to get rights and benefits that they were not able to have in their states because they were further further marginalized in their states, right? And so, it, and, and the court is set up to act in that way, right? They are appointed, lifetime appointments. They are not subject to- Which we need to, to look at. We need listen. to look at that. They need but, but again, the idea, yeah, right? The, the idea, idea is that they're not subject to the, the whims and the, and, the, and the ebbs and of flows voters. of voters mm-hmm. and political whatever. Um, and so that's what they were there to do, okay? Mm-hmm. The people who- are not going to be able to access abortions in their states because their states are extremely conservative are also more likely to be in worse, worse situations. They're more likely to not be able to get contraception. They're more likely to make lower wages. They're more likely to, um, to face discrimination um, in the healthcare environment. So now they are further marginalized and you're like, just go to another state. They can't. 
Okay. And then when a woman, a person is in crisis, they're going to do what they have to do. So they're going to, we're just open up the back alleys, open up the, you know, the dirty, the dirty abortion clinics, open up. I don't think people realize that that was what was happening. Of course not, because it was all done in secret. <laughs> you know, like there were there were Finding girls that, had, that that would have to like go blindfolded into a, an alley and, and not know where they are and have a procedure and just hope that everything was OK, because God knows they couldn't go to a hospital after if there were any complications because they're going to ask what happened. Or women trying to do it themselves. Do it themselves. Could you imagine the pain? Drinking what? whatever hanger. I mean, Hangers. like it just, was it was. And just, you know, and we have to, again, think about why do we need federal protection and what other things are federally protected? My marriage is federally protected. I'm married to a white person. If, if, if what would happen if states decided, OK, well, this state decided they don't. And Republicans have said this. People think these are so far outreaching ideas. But Republicans have said that, oh, well, I think that should be a state's right. Things that we 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 just take for granted as law and as understood to be rights or have federal protection. And that's why we are able to have the privilege of believing that they are just natural rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, so it, when we talk about the, the Supreme Court taking away protections, federal protections, the marginalized will be further marginalized. It will be exacerbated in our yes. communities. Can you talk about what else could be implicated by this decision? Yeah. Um, same-sex marriages could be implicated. Like anything that has federal protections. Um, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but this is this just is really scary. Mm-hmm. You know, like things that you, again, like I said, things that you just take for granted. We will be questioning i I remember um uh, what's it called election night when trump was elected long story short i i woke up i did not actually see the results come in i woke up and uh my mother was visiting and my mother was crying and i go down to her she's like what if they deport me i'm like mommy you are a citizen you've been a citizen for 20 something years where where are they going to deport you to you from here right and my sister and i had a little giggle about it and then Trump is like, yes, I would like to take away citizenship from from people whose like grandparents weren't citizens or something. I was like, oh shoot. The thing that you thought oh, was impossible. Oh shoot. Let me is possible. It all is. It's and that's why we threat. have to pay attention. Again, like that's what I said. Even when you think this does not affect me, it does. It does. And so like I, I, I love hearing about the three stool approach yeah. that Mother Injustice has, but tell me a little bit more about the actual policy agenda yeah. that is steering the work. Yeah. So pay and 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 it, it totally relates to this conversation because so many economists, sociologists, physicians, politicians have said that without a, a, a greater, stronger social safety net, we are going to exacerbate the the ramifications of eliminating abortion safe and legal abortions right so paid leave for one the ability to take time off when you are sick and still get paid how many people do you know just we don't even need statistics how many people do you know live paycheck to paycheck 
What happens when somebody has cancer? What happens when somebody has a baby? They have to scrunch, they have to, you know, just get money where they can, ask cousins for money. Like that is the issue that is 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 underlying underlining one of the many issues that's underlining this issue, right? So we won paid leave in the state of Michigan. Um, it is not the policy that we had hoped to have. And we are fighting, fighting, fighting. So every worker is able to take off uh, time uh, and to earn it, right? So one hour, earn one hour of paid leave for every 40 work. That is the that is the gold standard. That is what we're aiming for. Um, and everyone should have it. And everyone gets sick, but not everyone has time to get well, right? So that's one. Then affordable childcare, right? Uh, at, at the very least, we need children to be parented so we have a workforce, right? That's not the argument we make. Um, but childcare is unaffordable. In most states, childcare uh, is, is comparable to what people pay for college, right? So what would it look like if we didn't have to do that and everybody had money for college, Right. So we're answering that problem right there. Um, We have a system in this country that is unworkable and we really saw it come apart during the pandemic. We have child care, child care agencies or people who are caring for people who, one, aren't making a living wage themselves two um, are relying on enrollment, right? And that doesn't sound so bad until the pandemic comes mm-hmm. and everybody's staying home mm-hmm. and nobody's paying tuition. And mm-hmm. then that 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 childcare facility has to close their doors. Mm-hmm. There's no support, right? Mm-hmm. Our public schools are not set up that way, right? Yeah. So when we all stayed home, public schools still had money to turn the lights on, yeah. to pay the rent. So we have a childcare system that is not workable. That's fragile. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very fragile, exactly. Mm-hmm. Then the social safety net, just all the all of the things that come into play when the worst happens, when things that you didn't expect, when you lose that job, when your car breaks down, like we need cash assistance, we need insurance, right? Those things need to be in place so that we don't, we're not devastated when when the inevitable happens. Let's really say that when life happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And life gonna happen. Life gonna happen. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's why we live in a society. And that's why we're humans who rely on our uh, other humans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, 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 it, and it's, it's really who we are um, as a black community, as yes. a community of color. I think we are, I know that we are a communal people. Yeah. And that rubs directly up against uh, this rugged individualism that America wants to project on us. And some of us have adopted that, but that's not who we are. That's not the culture of up South folks. I love the way that you said that because it's also every good idea comes from black people. I'm going to say that and I'm going to be okay in saying that. But like all of these policies that we have that we rely on, Black people thought about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's this thing in um, the Caribbean community called the partner. And it's like this floating $1,000, right? So I got $1,000. You going to borrow $1,000. We're all pitching in money for mm-hmm. this $1,000 just to circulate so that you have it when you need it. You're able to pay your bills. We can we can have that on a larger level. The government is a collection of people. It is 
ours to shape and hold, right? Mm -hmm. Free lunch, Black Panther started that. Come we on. can feed every child and not because they're going to be more productive in school, but because babies need food. They need to eat. And we can do that because we have we have we're a rich country. We yeah. can do it. We, we can do we, all we of be this. tacking on some just crazy scenarios. Yeah, right. Kids need to eat. <laughs> Not period. Period. <laughs> period. So we can we can have we can have our community in a larger sense to take care of our our city, our state, our people. And so that's what safety net, that's what that bucket's about. And then maternal justice is um far reaching. It's uh it it goes from how um, pregnant and parenting people are treated uh, when they're incarcerated to how they're treated in a hospital um, to whether or not they have uh, the choice and whether or not to parent. There's so many issues within that um, that we need to address. And again, that also there's so there's so many examples um, of, of sexism and racism influencing what is best for everyone. One example being uh, midwifery care, mm. um, you know, having a baby at home or having uh, a, a person who's gone through that type of training uh, shows better outcomes for women of color, everybody. Um, and it's cheaper. But because we live in a society that... Um, uh, that doesn't value the care of women, we we have to fight for them to be licensed. We have to fight for them to receive Medicaid reimbursements. Um, but it's better for us. So we, mothering justice at its core is lifting up core traditional ancestral practices to policy. <laughs> I love that. I love how you frame that. Uh, one day I have to interview you on on your own journey mm -hmm. and ask you this question around like what was the impetus for you to even start something like this? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I want to get to know you, yeah. the person, because <laughs> uh, this is so interesting. You all have a reproductive justice organizer mm -hmm. on staff. All right, Chanel. All, all right, right. <laughs> Chanel Bennett. In the wake of this political climate now, what is all Chanel's docket? Oh. What is what does what does a reproductive justice Thank organizer do? Thank God for her. <laughs> okay, so she does a little bit of everything, right? So she is um, forming an agenda. Well, before this, right? She's forming an agenda, going to the community. How all of our issues are cut and shaped are based on what community members are saying. She is a doula herself, so she comes from that tradition. Is is looking at how we. Can can better um, make uh, doulas accessible to women so that they have somebody with them through the birthing process to articulate and echo their wishes when they're in the most vulnerable state. Um, but also, um, again, how pre pregnant parents, uh, pregnant and parenting people are treated when they're incarcerated, whether or not they are getting their own basic needs met, and are their are their children receiving? That's the thing. How many how many kids? in Michigan are born in prison. I, I don't want to put many. you on the spot, but I do not many. know, yeah. but too many, too yeah. many. And, and we don't even think about that. We don't even think about that. Because we, we strip folks who punishment. are incarcerated of their humanity. Because we're obsessed with punishment. Mm. We're obsessed with punishment, even at the cost of babies that we apparently uh, hold up as uh, the be all of what we should be protecting. 
right? And then Chanel is also working on um, on 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 this, right? So uh, we have a ballot initiative, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, we are we are part of a coalition. That coalition is amazing and has done so much to get enough signatures so that we can have this issue on the ballot. So she has to um, educate after we get the right amount of signatures and they're certified. We have to educate the voters, right? We need more yeses than nos um, so that we can protect abortion rights. Um, and, and again, just building that coalition of people and that understanding because we organizing is about getting your people like we don't need to go out and convince people. We don't we're not the people that are going to be arguing with people uh, for, for four hours on the street. Ah, Go ahead. Our people are enough. Okay, in so many ways, our people are enough. We have the numbers to have the society we want. We just need to gather everybody. You be driving gems like you don't know you <laughs> drop them, and it's so funny. Listen, I'm talking to Daniel Atkinson, who is the founder and national executive director of Mothering Justice. My final question for you is yeah. this: What should we be thinking about when trying to center mm-hmm. the experiences of mothers of color? and policy and advocacy that will produce equitable outcomes. Because we do a lot of policy, right? Uh, We do a lot of advocacy. And sometimes that policy isn't directly tied to measure the kind of impact that shows up on the pavements of neighborhoods. And oftentimes that impact is disparate. Yes. Right. You talk about dropping gems. Okay. (laughs) The questions, though. The questions. So how, how should we be thinking? Yeah. One... We need to do a way of res- with respectability politics, okay? <laughs> I can come here and I can speak the Queen's English and I can do all the things that make white folk listen to me, but I'm not enough. And I'm telling you, our people are brilliant and we need to be the people making the room for them, right? So when somebody comes with their lived experience, if it doesn't come in a nice, cute package, we need to make room for that and say, that's okay, Okay, and in all, in uh, how whatever image people that's evoking for people, yes, that one, that yep. one. Okay, it's expertise. It's expertise it and give it's it expertise. agency. Yes, it's power and expertise. Okay, now you know the conversations you had with your mom about what you wear, how you look, how Lord, you talk. Don't I know? Right, just throw that all away and make room, or even use that to make room for others who don't fit neatly in that box. That is how we're going to win, first of all. Second of all, we need to look outside of policy. I hate mm-hmm. to say it, mm-hmm. okay, because that's the space I live in. That's that's the only job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yes. Say more. Okay, but in crisis, we need to meet people where they are and mm-hmm. make sure that they have what they need for that, for, for period, okay, mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. But also hierarchy of needs if they ain't got their basic needs met they're not going to be on the road with you to change policy so we need to find a way to get our sisters to a clinic Mm -hmm. we need to have an underground railroad we need to use every means we have to protect people and to help them live their best authentic life i call it answering issues on the porch yes right because um if they if on the porch 
they got so much stuff happening on the porch and in the house. Okay. They're not stepping off the porch to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And advocate for, you know, the the, the yes. green trees and oxygen and, you know, whatever, whatever exactly. the cause is for any particular organization. If my baby's got asthma, right. I can't go with I'm not you leaving to talk my porch. about school. Yeah, right? I'm not leaving my porch. If yeah. I don't have any food in my cabinet, no, I can't. I can't talk about paid leave. Like we have to yeah. figure out how to work with through um, agencies uh, and entities and people that are meeting people where they are and work in collaboration and in concert if we want everyone to be able to show up in their authentic self to change the world. Hmm. If you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. All right. This has been um, what I hope is the first conversation of many. Yes. It was an absolute joy to have you on. So it's time for shout outs. Okay. All right. So you got any shout outs? (laughs) Oh, Ebony. Always Ebony. Always Ebony. Ebony Wells Taylor. (laughs) Hey, Ebony. (laughs) She's amazing. She is the uh, Michigan director. She made this interview happen and she makes so much happen in the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to shout out my friend and co-host, Donna Givis-Davison. We love you and we are with you. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, We hope to see you again next time. And until then, we want you to catch the wave. (laughs) 